the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline, filling in for Dennis today. We are going to open the show by going down under to Australia to talk with Rita Panahi. Rita is a newspaper columnist and a television host on Australia's Sky News. I've been a guest a number of times on Rita's television show, so we are turning about today, and Rita is the guest. Rita, thanks for being on the program. Pleasure to be with you. It's uh, 2 a.m. here in Melbourne, so excuse me if I'm a little bit um, incoherent in this early hour. Well, well, thanks especially for being on the show since it's the middle of the night in, uh, in Australia. Rita, I always thought that Australians were a freedom-loving people, but apparently not. You have one of the most extreme COVID shutdowns of any place in the in the world. Tell our listeners what's going on there. It is pretty wild for those of us who haven't been supportive of the COVID craziness. It's been quite a eye-opening experience to see just how far the country has gone. But we closed our international borders March 2020. They've never, never reopened. Um, so even Australian citizens who want to return back to Australia from overseas or even if you want to leave the country, you're not allowed. You have to seek permission and permission is typically denied. So that basic freedom has been gone. And then we've got internal state border closures so people can't cross the border to to see their family or take care of business. Melbourne is under a curfew. So right now we have a 9pm curfew um, and very strict stay-at-home orders. So Melbourne will be the most locked-down city in the world. Um, quite extraordinary given um, we're an island nation with this closed international borders, and yet up until recently, our state premier was pursuing COVID zero. They were seeking to eradicate the virus effectively, which is just a insane proposition. You can't eliminate a coronavirus, um, certainly not if you want to be part of the wider world. So um, we've... Uh, it, it, it's been a fairly grim period. There's been, um, in my opinion, just terrible police overreach in enforcing these um, strict orders. Uh, people, uh, protests are banned. So anyone who protests is uh, very heavily dealt with by the police. Um, very heavy fines, over $5,000, but also 
uh, as you probably seen footage in, in the past week, police using um, pepper ball rounds and capsicum spray, pepper spray, um, being very heavy-handed in in crushing that descent. Um, and um, it's just created scenes I never thought I would see in Australia. It's been quite sad. Well, it's extraordinary, Rita. Uh, one of my daughters lived in Melbourne for a couple of years, my wife and I, spent a couple of weeks uh, visiting her and her husband there a few years ago. Melbourne is a wonderful city, and I just can't even imagine uh, the idea of that, that city being locked down and basically under martial law. You've got a terrific Twitter feed, Rita, and you put up a, a video of, a couple of days ago of a guy uh, handcuffed and wrestled to the ground by the police there in Melbourne. Uh, t- tell, our, tell our listeners about that. Yeah, that was one of the, the, you see these videos, sadly, semi-regularly. They're, they're, they don't seem to be a one-off. Um, there's just too many of them. And in this particular one, young man and woman, um, the footage shows the man pushed to the ground by a group of police, uh, putting handcuffs, and all because... Um, according to what you hear the police saying on, on the tape, is that they say, well, you're not entitled to be where he was um, and he wasn't wearing a mask. But as he tries to explain, he was only a few hundred metres, a block or so from his home, and he was in a public park um, having a cigarette with his friend who uh, was having lunch. So she has the kebab in her hand which you can see in the video, and she's showing them, saying, what are you talking about? Um, we've gone to get lunch. He's got his mask off in his pocket because he's having a cigarette for a second. Um, and there's just this complete insane overreach. This wasn't even in the heat of a protest or you know, this wasn't in, in, in a park. So the police response, the, the complete... Um, overreaction, the use of fines, um, really heavy fines, which, which can be crippling for people who haven't worked for a long time, uh, is, I think, undermined public faith in the police. I really think it's impacted how many people perceive the police. I think there's still overwhelming support for a lot of these conditions, um, though the time is turning. I think... Overwhelming support may be overstating it now. Certainly earlier there was overwhelming support, but now I think people are just so fatigued and so fed up that the, the, the public support for these measures has uh, reduced, but it's still there. There's still uh, a significant amount of support for these harsh measures and responses because people are scared silly. Uh, there has just been relentless scaremongering and alarmist um, coverage and people have been scared silly and just everything becomes in their mind justifiable. The need justified the end. This crackdown on protesting makes sense to them or throwing a man to the ground and putting him in handcuffs because he's removed his mask to have a cigarette makes sense to some of these people because uh, when you're that scared, 
uh, you can justify anything. It, it really is a sad state of affairs, and I think um, our media has some culpability in what's happening here because the coverage, as you probably have in segments of your media as well in the US, has just been relentlessly scaremongering and alarmist, and it's led people to completely overstate the risks. Of course, this virus is very much real and dangerous, but it, the, the, the polling, as you've seen in the US, when you ask people, you know, what are your chances of going to hospital if you have COVID, or what are your chances, or what percentage chance do you have of dying if you have COVID, those risks are overstated by a significant factor by a lot of people, which shows there's widespread ignorance about the reality of this virus. Well, we see that that here in the United States too. I saw a poll quite early on in the in the COVID uh, era where people were asked, uh, "What percentage of the population of the United States do you believe has died from COVID?" And I think the median answer was ten percent. You know, which is you know, it's just ridiculous. And in the meantime, as you say, uh, this fear mongering has caused people to to succumb to measures that I never could have imagined. You know, Ben Shapiro, you retweeted this, but Ben Shapiro commented on your uh, your tweet with the video of the guy being wrestled to the ground by the police in Melbourne. Ben Shapiro said uh, Australia was originally planned as a penal colony and is now apparently returning to that plan. <laughs> Yeah, that, that there is, uh, there has been that commentary certainly because um, people overseas are bewildered and uh, again from being someone who's been uh, steadfastly against these measures throughout, um, it's has felt very strange being your fellow countrymen who are normally measured and sane justifying things that you would think they would never justify. So it's, it's been almost heartening to see the reaction from overseas, even though I don't like to see the country that I love and I live in be mocked or be um, so heavily criticised. But it's, it's, it is always good to say, OK, thankfully other people can see just how crazy this is and how it's not proportionate, it's not healthy. Um and like I said, the tide is turning. I think that the, it's taken a long time that people are finally questioning the, uh, the entire worth of the lockdown strategy. Well, I, I, sh- I sure hope so, Rita. We're up against a break here, but we are going to be back with more from Rita Panahi after these messages. The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor pain-free studio. Hi, Dennis Prager here again with a message for anyone struggling with pain. Of course, I want you to know about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that tens of thousands are now taking every day. I take it every day. I like being out of pain. But I know you may be skeptical. I certainly was. Then I kept hearing about all the people, including my wife, who were no longer in pain. So I decided to give it a try. In fact, listen to Janice's story. I was skeptical at first. 
But because of the pain that I was having when I would uh, substitute teach and have to climb stairs, so I have lower back, hip, and even knee pain. And after about three weeks, I found that I could climb stairs pain-free. But it wasn't only pain-free. I could do it step over step without holding on the railing. I'm really happy. It's, it makes me feel like I'm young again. That's relieffactor.com or call 800-500-8384, 800-500-8384. There's a reason Gun Owners of America is known as the only no-compromise gun lobby in Washington. From lobbying in the halls of Congress and the executive branch to battling in the courts, wherever your Second Amendment rights are being infringed, GOA and their grassroots army are there. GOA has never compromised on the Second Amendment in its 45-year history. GOA's mission is simple, to protect, defend, and restore the Second Amendment. GOA has a special offer for my listeners and a free gift. It's up to us to protect the Second Amendment. Please visit gunowners.org, gunowners.org forward slash Prager to join in this important battle for liberty. That's gunowners.org forward slash Prager. Let me tell you a story about a woman named Lori Smith. She owns a web design business in the Denver area called 303 Creative, where she creates beautiful custom websites for her clients. Back in 2016, attorneys for Alliance Defending Freedom filed a lawsuit on Lori's behalf, challenging a Colorado law that would force her to design websites promoting messages that violate her religious beliefs. To make matters worse, that same law now prevents Lori from, on her own website, expressing her religious reasons for only creating websites that celebrate certain messages and ideas. So the question remains, do creative professionals have the freedom to decide which messages they celebrate through their art? So Alliance Defending Freedom has just filed a petition with the U.S. Supreme Court asking it to hear Lori's case. And ADF has won 13 victories at the Supreme Court since 2011. But as ADF's Matt Sharp tells us, our help is needed because the next challenge to religious freedom could be right around the corner. One day it may be your grandmother or your business that comes under attack because you wanting to operate consistent with your faith. And maybe your kid's religious school comes under attack for wanting to teach kids the biblical values that you hold so dear. ADF is always there to stand with people to make sure that their rights are not trampled, that their freedom is always protected, both locally, statewide, and ultimately at the U.S. Supreme Court. ADF does all its work pro bono for free for clients like Lori. But they need our help to cover the costs of defending our freedoms. Please go to Dennis's website at DennisPrager.com. Click on the Alliance Defending Freedom banner and consider a $100 donation to the Freedom Fund. Or you can phone your gift in any amount to 855-649-2020. That's 855-649-2020 to join all of us at the Dennis Prager Show in supporting Alliance Defending Freedom. Well, we are back now with uh, Rita Panahi, who is in Australia, and we've been talking about the draconian COVID shutdown that Australia has been living through. Rita, one thing that I've never understood, particularly about Australia, you guys have got a, a very strict means of keeping illegal immigrants out of your country and I feel like your government thinks it can do the same thing with the virus. But, but obviously, I, I, I don't see how that's possible. Are, are people starting to realize that you just can't shut down forever? Well, 
the state where I live, Victoria, uh, which is the uh, home to Melbourne, will be the longest, uh, the capital that's been in lockdown for the longest. That state leader has finally, finally acknowledged that COVID zero is not possible and has walked away from, from that elimination strategy. But we still have states like Western Australia where they do think they can remain COVID zero, they can remain COVID free and be this isolated hermit nation by themselves. So they've closed their borders to the rest of the country. Uh, and of course, their borders are closed to the rest of the world. But you can only have COVID zero if you are completely isolated forever. That means you can't have families cross the border to see each other. You can't have any international tourism. You can't participate like an advanced uh, city would with the world. Um, and so, yeah, there are still parts of the country where COVID zero is the goal, which this deep into this pandemic is utterly, utterly insane. But this is where we are. Um, uh, but the rest of the the more populous parts of Australia. So we've got Sydney, which is still under lockdown, but with a plan to reopen gradually starting October 11. Um, Melbourne's going to remain locked down much longer than that. Uh, so there, there is a plan to gradually reopen the country. But I think people still don't realise no international tourist is going to come to Australia if you're going to make them do two weeks of hotel quarantine at their own expense, being locked up in a single room for two weeks, paying $3,000 for the pleasure. That's just not going to happen. So the country will eventually come to the realisation that that's not feasible long term. No, no tourist is going to do that when they can just travel to another part of the world and enjoy their holiday without enjoying two weeks of hotel prison. Well, it's ridiculous, and obviously they can't keep it up forever. And you mentioned earlier, Rita, that the police have been cracking down harshly on uh, anti-lockdown demonstrators. And there's a, there's an audio clip that I've heard that's gone viral of a conversation between a demonstrator and a police officer who says, I actually agree with you, but I'm getting paid to be a policeman. But but at some point, people just won't stand for it, will they? I mean, are are, are people really willing to just keep going along with this? Well, the penalties for taking a stand are so severe, John. That's part of the issue. So when they crush these protests, they crush them really severely, not just with the pepper spray and the batons and the arrests, but with really hefty fines. We're talking over $5,000. So, and and these normal law-abiding people who are not in the habit of taking to the streets, they just uh, are too frightened, I think. I think there's a lot of people who I hear from saying, I've never protested in my life. I want to protest over this, but I, I don't want to be fined $5,000. I don't want to be arrested. And, but I also don't want to be maligned by the media because the media has been representing any protest, any anti-lockdown sentiment, anti-vaccine passport sentiment as some crazy anti-vaxxer um, uprising, which really, I 
think has deliberately misrepresented the protests and the protesters and demonised them. And again, I think people don't want to be associated with that either. They don't want to be um, attacked by the media and, and who identified. And but, but there is that climate of fear here. It, it's really unfortunate. Um, and I think, as you know, with Australians, they're naturally normally very laid back. And the average person is not the type to take to the streets and protest. Uh, but they are certainly growing numbers of people who are really upset and and are broken, have lost hope. Um, it's been 18 months of really difficult um, well, Rita, I, I got to say, I really hope that the protest, that the, the resistance takes off here. I didn't think that Australians could be frightened into submission so easily, and it's been kind of disheartening mm. to see. Rita Panahi, thank you so much for being on the program. Really appreciate it. We're going to go to some messages now. The Dennis Prager Show. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you about an interesting supplement that has made a big deal in my life. I had the, the pins and needles feeling in my feet. I've had it for about 25 years. It got quite intense. So among the things I did is I had inserts put in, which helped because it lifted the bone from the nerve. And I threw away the inserts last year after I started taking Nerve Renew. I read about Nerve Renew on the internet, and so I tried it out. And amazingly, after about a year, it doesn't happen overnight, I got rid of the inserts I had worn for 10 years. It's minimal, the uh, the pins and needles effect that I have. I'd like you to try it out. Go to NerveRenew.com. They offer two-week trial of their product and a one-year money-back guarantee. NerveRenew.com or your two-week trial now. I asked them to advertise. That's how effective I think the product is. NerveRenew.com. <laughs> Welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline, filling in for Dennis today. And we are joined now by John Andrazik. You probably know John as Five for Fighting, under which name he has uh, been a, a staple on the uh, musical charts for a number of years now. John, thanks for being on the program. John, thanks for having me. You know, John, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this to you before, but I've been listening to Five for Fighting for years, and I never really thought about the name. And it just dawned on me one day that, that the band, which is basically you, is named after the hockey penalty, Five Minutes for Fighting. Well, L.A. Kings fans uh, in my hometown will, uh, will certainly be appreciative of you mentioning that, my favorite team, that we waited so long for our two Stanley Cups. But, uh, yeah, I'm a huge hockey fan, and the name came about because back in the day, the male singer-songwriter was dead, and the label said, nobody can pronounce your name, which they're right. And they said, come up with a band name, and there was a hockey player named Marty McSorley who was Wayne Gretzky's bodyguard, and he got in a fight at a hockey game. And I, I went to the studio that night, and I, I sarcastically said, how about five for fighting? And they're like, we love it. And I said, you guys are nuts. It sounds like we should be opening for Metallica. But here we are 20 years later, John, five for fighting, and uh, go Kings go. <laughs> so, John, I want to talk about your new song, Blood on My Hands. And then later on in the segment, we'll, we'll play some of that. 
song, but but the song Blood on My Hands is about our withdrawal from Afghanistan. Tell our listeners, John, the, the story behind that song. You know, I think like like all of us, when the initial images came out of, of Afghanistan with mothers handing their babies over walls and people falling from planes, we were all kind of horrified. It kind of took me back to 9-11, some of those horrifying images. Uh, I had no intention of writing a song. Um, and then when our 13 soldiers were killed in the 100 Afghans, I was I was very angry. Um, I, I thought that was preventable, didn't need to happen. So like many songwriters, I just, you know, I went up to my piano and started banging on it. Again, not really intending to write a song, just just wanted to kind of release my my frustration. The song really took form of, uh, about a week later after we had left Afghanistan, and I got a call from a friend. I hadn't talked to her in a while. She does a lot of humanitarian work around the world, and she, she said, hey, I need a contact. And I, was like, I said, sure, what's going on? And she says, well, I'm organizing rescues of AMSITs from Afghanistan. And me being kind of this naive singer, dude, I'm like, what's an AMSIT? And she said, American citizen. And there was silence on the line. And, and I finally said, you're telling me you're risking your life to go rescue American citizens that our government left behind. And she started choking up. And, and that night, I, I started writing this song. And it finished itself when uh, President Biden gave his extraordinary success speech, which I think most of us found rather Orwellian. But even at that time, I, I had hoped that our generals, who I, I'd always considered the adults in the room, would come out and clarify that and tell us what was really happening. And when Millie and Austin came out and kind of echoed the same extraordinary success, what a great airlift, I was scared. I was scared for not just Afghanistan, but for the next crisis. And the lines about, you know, Millie and Blinken and Austin and their lack of honor and accountability wrote themselves and uh, recorded the next day and put it out. Yeah, John, it's a hard-hitting song. Uh, you name names, take numbers, and the song asks for uh, for accountability. But but it's not a political song, really, is it? It's really not. It's a moral song. You know, the moral message of no man left behind, our promise matters, accountability matters. And, you know, it's unfortunately that it's unfortunate we live in this world where everything is political. And, of course, the song's been kind of embraced by one side and disdained by the left, but it's not a political song. I think in our guts, we all know the tragedy, the great shame, the generational shame that Afghanistan is, and it's not going away. Um, I had a show last night in Annapolis, and I haven't been kind of meeting with the audience because of COVID, but this show, uh, the stage is kind of in in the middle of, of the room, and as I was walking out, there's four or five veterans and I, I played Blood in My Hands last. And a couple were Afghan vets. And, and one of them in particular walked up to me. He couldn't even talk. He was so angry. He was so ashamed. He, he tried to, like, say thank you for, for speaking my heart. But he just was crying. And we just hugged each other and cried. And I'm finding that sentiment, especially with our veterans, who are so angry. Um, that uh, there's no accountability and so ashamed that the folks that made right. their Hey, John, we got to run to a break, but when we come back, we're going to play uh, Blood on My Hands. We'll be right back after this. The Dennis Prager Show. I'm Dennis Prager, and you are well aware of our being censored 
that is PragerU, for example, by the left-wing tech giants. So, many of us are taking a different approach and using SquadPod, a team communication and collaboration app for businesses, nonprofits, sales teams, and religious organizations. It has everything you need, chat, video calls with screen sharing, file storage, etc. Plus, it's 100% private, non-discoverable, and American-made, owned, and operated. Stop supporting the companies who engage in data mining, profiling, selling data, and limiting expression of ideas. Take back your privacy, intellectual property, and right to free speech with SquadPod. Visit squadpod.com forward slash Prager, squadpod.com forward slash Prager to learn more. That's squadpod.com forward slash Prager, squadpod.com slash Prager. Welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline, filling in for Dennis today. And we are talking with John Andrazik, uh, known as Five for Fighting, about his brand new song, Blood on My Hands, which is a hard-hitting response to the botched uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. And John, by the way, you might be interested to know that at this very moment, the Senate Arms, Armed Services Committee is holding a hearing at which uh, Generals uh, Milley and Austin are testifying, and I, and I, I hope being asked some, uh, some tough questions. You know, I'll tell you, I had the most surreal experience of my life this morning. One one repercussion of this song is I've been asked to help with some evacs. I got a call this morning from a friend who had two American citizens, literally, on the border, couldn't get them out, and she needed some help from Congress. So I'm literally texting senators who are in the hearing uh, about this situation, who are helping me get these people out, while watching General Austin say, well, we didn't really leave them behind. They're there. Or whoever wanted to get out could get out. And literally, I have a picture of two American citizens trying to get out as we speak on my computer. It was surreal. It's unbelievable. So we've been talking about your song, Blood on My Hands. Let's play it. Now, let's play, play about the first minute and a half of the song so our audience can get a feel for it. Got blood on my hands. Got blood on my hands. And I don't understand What's happening There's blood on these hands And still Americans Left to the Taliban Blood in my hands 
flag of the Taliban. So that is John Andrzejczyk's brand new song, Blood on My Hands, and it is a a hard-hitting response to the manner in which our withdrawal from Afghanistan has been conducted. John, what has the response to the song been? It's been kind of surreal. I've I've gotten thousands of emails um, from folks across the political spectrum, and they all kind of say the same thing, like, thanks for saying what I'm feeling. You know, this is a song that will never have a spin on the radio, a song that's been shunned by the mainstream media, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the response has been overwhelming and particularly poignant with uh, with veterans, uh, and especially Afghan vets, as I mentioned in the prior segment, who are just feeling the shame and anger that there's been no accountability. And uh, as, as you said, watching the hearing now, it's, it's just surreal to watch that they're still trying to double speak their way out of this. But um, uh, And we'll see. The song's only been out for a week, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Well, as you say, John, it's not going to get uh, radio play, but I believe it's already gotten, what, more than 300,000 views on YouTube? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a grassroots phenomenon, which is kind of cool. I mean, that's uh, the only way to spread it, like people sharing it and watching it and passing it on to their friends that may share a similar worldview. And it's uh, it's very rock and roll, that kind of uh, way to create music. I've, I've usually been on the other side, but... No, people are responding when people see it at the shows every night. More phones are coming out. I'm getting more. I'm getting calls from people I've never met. Many on the left, actually, who are supporting a lot of these evacs that that are saying thank you for saying this. So, uh, I wish there were more songwriters writing songs like this right now, um, and hopefully, this will inspire some more. So, um, if 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 our listeners want to, you know, download your song, want to listen to your song, where should they go? Well, the song's on all the platforms. You know, it's on uh, Spotify and Apple Music. You, you just Google Five for Fighting Blood on My Hands, and there's the uh, the YouTube lyric video, I think, would be great to share. And also, just tweeted today, I tweeted last night's performance in Annapolis, and if folks want to see that, um, you know, you can go onto my my Twitter. And, you know, sharing the performances and, and, uh, and the responses, um, I think that's really the way to, to get it out. And... and it's important for me that veterans hear this song um, because I think they feel alone and unheard. And uh, this is just one way for them to let them know that we have them in our hearts. It's not their fault. Um, and we're thinking of them and we feel, we feel the same. And frankly, I think 80% of the nation um, agrees with the sentiments of the song. We're talking with John Andrzejczyk. John, we've just got a little over a minute left, but you've never really been a political guy, I don't think, but you are a longtime uh, patriot and a longtime supporter, particularly of of our troops. What's it like? Is it hard for you to be in the music industry and not be a woke woke musician? I mean, it's kind of a lonely space, but I don't really care. I've never been a guy who needs to go to the party. And you're right, John. It's, It's a moral message. If Donald Trump were president and we were in the situation, I would write the same song. Only the names would change. And I'd probably be embraced a little more from our, our friends on the left and the media. Um, but uh, to me, this is so much bigger than a guy and a songwriter. This is a national shame. It's going to carry on for, for decades. And uh, it's, uh, it's the job of uh, artists to speak their hearts, and that's all I'm trying to do. John Andrzejczyk, thank you so much for being with us. And to all of our listeners, Blood on My Hands is the name of the song. You can find it, as John says, on all of the platforms. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline, and we will be right back.
The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor Pain-Free Studio. Asking what's happening. Turn all of the lights on over Welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline, filling in for Dennis today. We've got a couple of callers who have been holding patiently. We've got a short segment here, so let's see what they've got to say. Let's go to Steve in Middletown, New York. Steve, you're on the air. Hi, John. Great to speak to you. Yeah, fire away. I wanted to introduce to you what I think is the number one story, unrecognized, of the Biden administration that's going to be determinative of pretty much everything that's going to happen going forward. Uh, you're familiar, of course, with the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. Yeah, the one um, that's cost-free. <laughs> I assume you're also familiar with the scariest feature of that bill, which is a vast expansion of the IRS, a doubling of the number of agents, and a nearly $80 billion budget increase for the IRS. Those two things, the immense uh, reconciliation bill, which has all of its own problems, and this $80 billion increase with a doubling of the number of agents, is not the real story. It's not even the real story that these agents are now going to be able, through this bill, to go into every single American's bank account and the bank accounts of every American business and retrieve every transaction of $600 or more. That's a PayPal income or PayPal expenditure. It's a bank income or bank expenditure. And all of that is coming through this bill. And a few people have recognized that and noted it. But even that is kind of a misdirection play. The real significance is if you think back to what happened during the Obama administration and the misuse of the IRS, this is the IRS on steroids, and they are going to be going after and have direct access into the bank accounts of every single conservative. And they are on a mission to determine that every conservative is a terrorist. And now, for the first time, they will have access, direct access, every year. Whoops, did we lose Steve there? Yeah, I guess we just lost Steve. Well, let me just follow up on that a little bit. I mean, looking on the bright side, if they double the size of the IRS, maybe they can go after Joe Biden for that half million dollars he owes. But yeah, there's a lot of scary stuff in the bills these Democrats are trying to push through. And it's not only the money. It's bad enough to to spend three and a half trillion dollars. But that isn't the worst of it. They're actually funding a lot of bad stuff with that money. So we're going to run to a break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Dinesh D'Souza. The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor pain-free studio.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.